All right, um, so welcome to class number 35. And um, my name is Mark Winslet. <laughs> I think most of you know that. Uh, I felt compelled to mention that in case someone is uh, tuning in for the first time because normally I am not uh, broadcasting at this time of the day on a Tuesday. Normally, um, we are live on Wednesdays at 5 uh, with the discipleship class, but I have um, uh, decided to do it today because I have a, a, a scheduling conflict uh, tomorrow and um, wanted to make sure we got um, our class in uh, for the week. And so I'm excited about it. And obviously, uh, folks that normally tune in uh, or watch archived, uh, will, archives will be able to watch uh, this. And so, but I'm excited about our content uh, for today. So uh, let's pray and we'll do a brief review and then get right into some new stuff. Father, thank you for your great love for me, for your great love for all those who are um, watching, listening, Lord, right now. I thank you. Father, that your Holy Spirit is with us, um, he's in us, he's upon us, and he is enabling, empowering us, Father. Lord, he is our teacher, we submit ourselves to him. Jesus, you said that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth, and so we uh, allow him the, the place in our lives to teach us and to lead us now. Help us, Holy Spirit, see things that we haven't seen before, see things we have seen more clearly. And I thank you that you are, through revelation, renewing our minds and transforming our lives. Thank you for good things today, and Lord, for your breathing upon us and, and, the, and the life, Lord, that's in your word. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Uh, I don't mean to be distracted by looking over to the side here, but just... Um, making sure that um, the dashboard is, is looking, uh, looking properly and um, saying perfect streaming and you know, recording. And so uh, I am uh, excited about that. Praise God. Let me come back over to you here. Amen. Um, I think I got it uh, backwards on the uh, swapping uh, from the screen display to, uh, uh, to the live camera. So uh, but anyway, um, class number 35, Salvation Terminology, we're going to finish that up from last week, and then um, we're going to talk about righteousness by faith and may be able to push on past that um, if, if possible. So um, my email address, one more time, is mark, M-A-R-K, at H-C-C, now.org mark at hccnow.org the hcc stands for heritage christian center and of course now meaning uh, wherever you are whenever you are praise god you have access to the website there so mark at hccnow.org and um, i'll mention this again uh, on next class but if you have um, attended watched um, at least 30 of the 36 classes, then you will uh, qualify for a completion certificate. And so I'll need you to send me an email um, to uh, let me know that, um, that you fit into that category. We, we're excited about getting a certificate to you. It's an honor system. Amen. This is a discipleship class. So if we can't trust you to be truthful and honest, then, you know, we, we've missed the point from, from class number one. So, um, so email me, let me know, 
that you qualify and we'll be more than happy to get that certificate to you. Um, include in that email uh, your name as you want it to appear on the certificate. So first name, last name, if you would like a middle name on there, uh, something you'd like to frame, hang on the wall, then we'll be more than happy to accommodate you with that. And, um, and then also, of course, uh, a mailing address or some way that I'll be able to get um, that uh, completion certificate to you, praise God. All right, um, last week uh, we talked about key salvation terminology, and uh, I want to make sure that um, we uh, get that finished. And so we'll do a quick review. When we say key salvation terminology, there are certain words that we find in the New Testament that go to explain and expound upon our salvation. And um, the, the main topic that we've been studying now for the past several weeks is, uh, is understanding our salvation. We said a lot of people have been born again, but they have no idea what happened to them when they were. And so we've been really breaking that down. We started with spirit, soul, and body and explaining um, those different dimensions of your existence and then um, the new birth and the seed from which we've been born a second time and why that was necessary. Uh, these are things that we've covered in previous classes. But as we kind of finish up this section, there are four key words that we find in the New Testament. We find them in the Old Testament too, but uh, we find in the New Testament uh, to help communicate to you and me um, the, the, the fullness, the, the, the scope, if you will, of, of our salvation. And so we spent um, last class really digging into the first three of those four words, and then we introduced the fourth one. And so um, let me swap over to the graphics. We said that the first word we looked at is this word propitiation, and it means to appease the wrath of God on account of sin. And in the verses that we looked at uh, covering propitiation, we see that Jesus himself is our propitiation, meaning that he um, absorbed the wrath of God that belonged to us because of our sin. Jesus um, bore that, took that punishment and blame so that we could be free from it. The next word we looked at is this word redemption. And it means a release secured by the payment of a debt or ransom. And this could apply to a prisoner or a slave, for example. And again, we see that Jesus redeemed us because he paid the debt uh, that we owed, um, the price that we could never pay. Jesus stepped in and paid it for us so that we could be redeemed. Now, we also looked at the reality of this, you know, again, from the New Testament perspective, where the Bible says Jesus um, has provided eternal salvation by becoming our eternal redemption. So Jesus didn't just pay for the sin that you committed or I committed up into the point that we asked him you know, into our lives, but he paid for our sin uh, once and for all. He paid um, for all sin for all time. The third word we looked at is the word justification. And, um, and we're going to circle back around to, um, to the subject uh, of righteousness. Um, but justification means to declare innocent, to acquit, to declare righteous. So Jesus declares you innocent, declares you acquitted of your sin, declares you righteous because he has redeemed you, paid the penalty, paid the, the debt 
the ransom and has made us righteous. And um, one of the things that we focused on and we'll dig into again a little deeper uh, today is that righteousness is not just something that Jesus gave you, but something that he made you. Um, he has made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's, a, it's something that became true about you when you were born a second time of a new seed. So the emphasis again is that Jesus is our propitiation. He is our redemption and he is our justification. He didn't just provide these things for us, but he is these things. He became these things for us. This is why in the book of Hebrews it talks about our salvation, our inheritance, our redemption, um, all in light of being eternal um, because Jesus, our eternal high priest, serves through the power of an endless life. And because Jesus is our propitiation and he will never die, um, our propitiation is eternal, our redemption is eternal, our justification is eternal. It's not just a sum of money that he paid, but he paid it with his life. And now he, as our propitiation, redemption, and justification, um, serves as our great high priest, our mediator, our advocate, but one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, um, he is able to provide these things for us eternally so. Amen. And so the next um, salvation term that um, we introduced it last week, we'll get into it a little more now, is, um, is the word reconciliation. Now, if you've been with us from the beginning, then you know that reconciliation is a word that we actually started talking about, I don't know, 30-some-odd classes ago. And reconciliation means to reestablish a close relationship between, to reestablish a close relationship between. The scriptures teach uh, us in, sec I'll come back to that slide, but in 2 Corinthians 5 and 18, it says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of of reconciliation. So you have been um, so thoroughly reconciled to God, reestablished in a close relationship with Him, that you now are being used by God as a minister of reconciliation so that others can also be reconciled to Him. Now, to put this in proper perspective, without propitiation, redemption, and justification, there can be no reconciliation. In other words, as long as the wrath of God is, is, is on us, it, we can't be reestablished in a close relationship with Him. As long as we have outstanding debt that separates us from Him, again, we can't be reestablished in a close relationship with Him. Um, as long as we are uh, in a position of unrighteousness, sinfulness, um, we can't be reestablished in a close relationship with him. Remember what we said about the word justification, that justified means just as if I had never sinned. And so because we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, in other words, we're, we're given and became the righteousness of Jesus himself, um, we stand before God now as one who has never sinned. It's better than um, being someone who sinned and was forgiven, but we stand before our Heavenly Father now, and He sees us as one who has never sinned. Remember what I told you yesterday, that 
that even though uh, yesterday, last class, praise God, um, that even though we sinned, Father's desire was to be able to treat us like we never had or like we never did. And so this is the price that Jesus paid, not just for you and me to have this blessed um, hope and this redemption and this propitiation and this, and this justification, um, but he paid that price so that Father could have what he desires, and that is to be reestablished in a close relationship with us. Now, I'm not going to try to go back and, and review and reteach all the things that we've covered already about reconciliation, but you know, when it says to reestablish a close relationship between, um, the first question maybe some of you asked is, well, reestablish implies um, the relationship had existed before, and the answer is yes, and that relationship existed before when we were all in Adam before Adam sinned, and we were uh, in close relationship with uh, God at that point. Remember, it was Adam's sin that made us sinners. It was Adam's sin that separated us from God. Not your sin. Adam's sin did that um, in the same way that it was not your and is not your obedience that makes you righteous. Um, it was the first Adam's sin that made you sinner, a sinner, and it was the last Adam, Jesus's obedience, that has now made us um, righteous. We were in Adam. Now we are in Christ. We were born of the corrupted seed of Adam. Now we have been born a second time of the incorruptible seed of Christ, the incorruptible seed of um, the Word of God. So to reestablish a close relationship between, this is um, what it means to be reconciled to God. And so without propitiation, redemption, and justification, there can be no reconciliation. One of, my, uh, th one of the uh, things that I told you early on um, about reconciliation is a quote from Dr. Neil T. Anderson, and he says that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, and that word is reconciliation. Um, I simplify that even further by saying Daddy wants his children back. Um, he is our Heavenly Father. He created us. The Bible says that we existed in Christ Jesus before time began, that we were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began, and so before we ever sinned, Father had already chosen you and already decided that he loved you and who you would be and, and, and all these things. And so this great love that he's always loved you with is what has motivated him to do for you and to do for me what he's done for us. Remember, the Bible says that he forgives our iniquity for his sake, not just for your benefit, but for his benefit. It's so easy for us to get caught up in only considering the impact or the benefit that these things have for us personally without ever considering that Father did these things for us and paid this price for us so that we could um, be uh, reconciled to Him, so that we could be reestablished in a close relationship with Him. All right, let's go now to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. Colossians chapter 1 and um, in verse number 19, um, it says this, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And this is talking about... Um, Jesus, um, our Savior, our, our, our Lord, but also um, our elder brother, and, to, and by him to reconcile all things to himself uh, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now 
he has reconciled. Let me uh, come back over to you for a moment. That word now, um, it's a very important word. You'll find it throughout the uh, you know, New Testament in, in connection with things that Father God has done for you and given to you that you've become because of the new birth. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, now all things are of God. Um, the unique thing about the word now is that um, when you read it tomorrow, it'll still say now. And if you read it six weeks from now or six years from now or 6,000 years from now, um, it'll still say now, okay? Um, yet now has he reconciled. Now there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. Now all things are of, um, of God. And so we were once, notice um, once speaking past tense, once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Remember the verses we looked at in Romans 5, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Wow. Now, I want us to spend a few minutes, and we could really spend the rest of the class, um, but I want to try to keep it to at least you know, a, a few minutes, talking about um, this verse because what we see in Colossians 1 is the reality that we have been um, reconciled back to God the Father by Jesus. Jesus has reconciled us in himself through his completed work um, and this is something that pleased the Father. It's pleasing to the Father that Jesus did it for us and it's pleasing to the Father that we have now been reestablished in a close relationship um, with him. So um, what we also see though is um, a further explanation of our reconciliation, or we could say it another way, we see a further explanation of what Jesus' propitiation, redemption, justification, and reconciliation has actually affected in us, what it has actually created or produced in us. And we see this, um, the, the thoroughness of it, the completeness of it, even the eternal nature of it expressed in verse number 22. So it says, he's reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death, speaking of the death that he died on the cross for us and as us, as our substitute, so that he might then do what present you, personalize this. He's not just talking about somebody else, he's talking about you, he's talking about me. That he might present you, that he might present me holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. His here, the, the pronoun here is referring to father's sight talking about how, you know, what Jesus has done for us and how he now has presented us after he did for us what he did for us and we received for ourselves what he did for us, um, how Father God now sees us. When I, when I say, and, and I want to make sure I make, I make this plain, when I, when I say how he sees us, um, I'm not talking about like wink, wink, nod, nod, look the other way. I'm talking about who you are um, and, and how you now stand uh, in the eyes of God the Father. And, and what, you know, the completed work of Jesus has done for you and in you, and how it is because of what Jesus did for you and you receiving it for yourself, how it is that you now stand uh, before God the Father. Remember, not just as a forgiven sinner, 
but as one who has never sinned. So let's, um, let's look at some of these words. In the body of his flesh through death, first of all, it says to present you holy, to present you blameless, and to present you above reproach in the eyes of Father God. Okay, so let's break this down a little further. Holy means clean, pure, and separated from that which contaminates and defiles. Remember, sin separated us, sin contaminated us, sin defiled us, okay? Um, but Jesus has now taken us out of sin. He took sin away from us and took us out of sin, making us holy, making us clean, making us pure, and separating us from that which contaminates and defiles. Think of it this way. Jesus took us out of sin, death, and darkness, and relocated us in holiness, light, and life. We are now saints permanently located in the grace that made us holy. And we find um, biblical support for that last uh, statement, among other places, in Romans chapter 5, that we now stand in the grace that has done for us and produced in us and made us who we are now. Um, let me give you a couple of verses on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 it says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. So he's saying that by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace means unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. So when he says that you're holy um, and that he has now presented you holy um, in the eyes of and before God the Father, it, it's not because of anything that I've done to make myself holy. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. Um, so that's when he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am holy not because I have been so good that I earned or deserved that, but because of God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, I am what I am. And I'm holy among uh, a whole bunch of other things. And if you've been born again, then so are you. Another verse that, again, I think needs to be mentioned here is Hebrews 13 and 9. He says, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Now, the last part of this verse sometimes kind of throws people, not with foods which have not profited those which have been occupied with them. This is clearly a reference to the Old Testament uh, laws, dietary laws, um, things that they were to adhere to um, in order to be right before God in the, in the eyes of God. And he's saying that it's good that the heart be established by grace. It's good that the heart be established by grace. And um, so the heart being established by grace or the heart being established in grace, he's, he's talking about, you know, something being established, becoming settled. Think of a foundation, um, that upon which other things rest. And if our hearts never become established by grace, um, then we'll be constantly trying to earn things and deserve things that have been freely given to us. Um, there is a big, big difference in serving God because you're trying to be accepted by Him versus serving God because you know that you're accepted by Him. 
um, doing it to be versus doing it because you are. And because we can never earn God's favor or his acceptance, but he gives it to us freely and willingly, when we realize that he loves us and there's nothing that we can do to make him love us anymore, it's out of that understanding of his love that, that we then do for him what we do for him. Um, we're sons and daughters of God, um, but we serve him because we choose to. Um, if you understand yourself to be um, someone who is serving God because you're trying to earn a position as son or daughter, then that's not pleasing to God. Um, and, it, and it represents, uh, it, it signifies that you don't understand and have not fully received uh, that, you know, what, that which Jesus has done for you because it's his blood. And so for the heart to be established by grace um, as opposed to established by what you've done or how hard you've worked or how hard you've tried um, to be good versus, again, what's been done for you. So he's presented you holy. The next thing we see there in Colossians is that he's made you and presented you to God the Father blameless. Now, this is a very strong word, blameless. Um, it means without internal spot or blemish, the complete and absolute removal of anything that would make you unworthy. This word literally means Jesus made you unworthy condemnable, uncondemnable, okay, blameless. Now, let's go back to what we've talked about already. Um, remember, the real you is your born-again spirit. Um, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. And so when we talk about blameless, um, we're talking about your born-again spirit, the real you. I'm not saying that you haven't or that I haven't done anything in our flesh um, that would be considered wrong or sinful. Nor am I, cons nor am I saying that there aren't consequences associated um, with those things. But I'm talking about um, the, the perfected work. Remember Hebrews 10, 14 says that the sacrifice of Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So he's saying there is a level of your existence that has been perfected forever. Again, remember when we looked at the two verses in 1 John 1 and then again in 1 John 3. 1 John 1 says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Um, but that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation for our sins. We confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then in 1 John 3, he says that those who've been born again um, do not sin and they do not sin because they cannot sin, and we cannot sin because the seed of God's life abides in us. So he's not contradicting himself. He's saying that your born-again spirit cannot, even though your flesh, another dimension of your existence, um, has not yet been saved and can still um, you know, falter and stumble. It's not about, and, and this is the argument, and this is why we even see these exact words in Scripture. Should we sin that grace may, may abound? Do we use the fact that we're under grace as an excuse to just go do whatever we want to do and commit sin? The answer to that is uh, clearly not, obviously not. Um, the, to quote Romans, absolutely not. It's ridiculous um, and, and is missing the whole point. 
um, of, of these things. But just because you've seen someone who's, who says, you know, I'm under grace and so I can do whatever I want to do, that makes them wrong, but it doesn't make the doctrine wrong. Uh, so we have a saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't, you know, just because people abuse, um, you know, these things and, and because of their ignorance and because of their immaturity and, and, and what have you, un, you know, carnal mindedness, don't dismiss what the Bible says about it. It's, it's kind of like in the same way if you've ever seen somebody that has been in the flesh and said they were being, uh, what they were doing was the Holy Spirit. Um, it doesn't make all the Bible teaches us about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, um, being slain in the Spirit, being shaken by the Spirit. Um, just because somebody may be faking or, or trying to impress people by putting on some type of outward show um, and calling it the Holy Spirit, um, again, that makes them wrong, but it doesn't make the doctrine wrong. It doesn't make the teaching wrong. So make sure you, 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 clear, you clarify that um, in, in your heart and mind. And so the Bible says that Jesus has made you blameless without internal spot or blemish. This is what it means to be perfected forever, Hebrews 10, 14. It's the complete and absolute removal of anything that would make you unworthy before God. And so this word literally means Jesus has made you uncondemnable. The only way that you can be blameless, this means that, that no one can bring an accusation against you that will stick. Um, please pardon, because it's on the opposite end of the spectrum, but, um, you know, when you, in, in our country here, um, you know, people talk about organized crime, and that it sometimes seems like people who are high up in uh, organized crime, that they're coated with Teflon, um, meaning that they, uh, that no charges will ever stick. You know, they get accused of doing all these wrong things, but then when it's, when it's you go to try to prove it in court, that, uh, that it somehow can't be, be proven, that the charge won't stick. And so, again, pardon that reference, but, but this is what he's saying when you're blameless, um, without blame. He's literally saying that you're blameless because there's no charge will stick. Uh, no, no charges can even be, uh, be brought. Uh, and so therefore, um, Jesus has made you um, uncondemnable. Um, let's look at it in uh, a couple of other places here. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, um, verses 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Notice past tense. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. So I'm going to leave that on this. I want to come back over and look you in the eyeballs. Amen. But let me leave that on the screen for a moment. Notice what he's saying. He's saying that before the foundation of the world, this means before Adam ever existed or any of us existed in him, Father God had already chosen you. And notice that he chose you to be holy and without blame before him in love. This was Father God's desire and intent for you before there ever was a you 
um, to commit a sin or to commit an act of righteousness. And what we see now in our salvation is the fulfillment of what Father God has already desired and what he has already purposed, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined. Predestined means predetermined. Predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This is not just, again, what this does for you, how this benefits you, but this is something that benefits him. This is something that he desires and, and, and is pleasing to him, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted, made you. He made you accepted in the beloved. Again, accepted is something that you've become. It's something he made you based upon his grace, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Your, your acceptance and being accept, accepted by God is not based upon your performance. It's not based upon your works. It's not based upon how good you've been or, or how, how wrong or bad or sinful you've been. It's based upon his grace. And the more we understand this and the more we come to terms with this, the more that will motivate us um, to, uh, to clean up our lives. First John 3 says it'll motivate you to purify your life even as Christ is pure. Um, Paul, when he called upon the church at Rome and upon you and me now, um, he said, I beseech you by all the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, that you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Notice he's saying, in light of everything that's been done for you, in light of all that, that, that Jesus has accomplished for you, in light of the um, tremendous price that he paid for you, he said that we should respond uh, this way. Uh, and, and so this is what he's um, <clears throat> referring to here, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, the next thing that we see in Colossians, let me just... Um, read that uh, last verse to you, verse 22, Colossians 1 and 22. Um, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So we've looked at holy, we've looked at blameless. What does it mean to be above reproach? Above reproach is without accusation, unaccused and unaccusable. Reproach is an expression of disapproval, disgrace, or shame. So when he says you're above reproach, he's saying you're above disapproval. You're above disgrace. You're above shame. To be set above it means it no longer applies to you. Um, you're not in the category that can be disapproved of, that can be disgraced. Um, or can be shamed before God um, ever again, Jesus has put you in a position now above reproach, without accusation before God, unaccused and unaccusable. Man, now you say, Pastor Mark, I, I'm not sure about that. All right, well, let's go to Romans chapter 8. And let's go, uh, we'll look at verses 31 through 34. He says, um, I'm sorry, I took the screen off and put it on, pardon me. All right, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Let's keep going. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So when it says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect, he's asking the question, who, who is even qualified to accuse us? When he says that he's made you above reproach, without accusation, unaccused, unaccusable, it's not that the devil doesn't accuse us. Certainly the devil, the Bible says, is the accuser of the brethren. It's just that he's not qualified to bring accusation. He's not qualified to bring charges against you. Okay? And so when it says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. The, the, what's being implied here is that the only individual qualified to bring a charge or an accusation against you and to condemn you is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's qualified. Why is he qualified? He's qualified because he lived 33 years on this planet as a man without sin. And because he did it, um, his life and record can do one of two things. It can eternally condemn you or it can eternally justify you. And thankfully, his life and record has eternally justified us. If Jesus wanted to bring accusation against us, bring charges against us, and ultimately condemn us, then he could do that. But he is not your accuser. He is your advocate. He is, to use legal terminology, he's not your adversary. He is your advocate. He is your attorney. He's not the one bringing charges against you. He is the one who has justified you. He is the one who paid your penalty. He took the blame and punishment for your crime, for your sin, so that you could be free from the penalty and punishment of your crime and sin. He absorbed the wrath that you deserve, that I deserved, so that the, the wrath of God might be satisfied, appeased, and no longer be on you or me. Man, this is just, I'm telling you, it's good news, and it's the grace of God. And as I tell you often in Ephesians 2, there's a word for this teaching. There's a, there's a title for this doctrine, um, and it's called salvation. This is what it means to be a born again, a saved man or woman. Let me um, give you these same verses in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 21 through 23 from the Passion Translation. From the Passion Translation, it says, Even though you were once from him, distant from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If indeed you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. And this is the glorious news I preach all over the world. 
man, I am really enjoying the Passion Translation, man. It, it just, um, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Um, you know, there's no perfect translation. Um, Jesus didn't speak in English. He spoke in Hebrew. The Old Testament is, is, is uh, I'm sorry, Jesus spoke in Greek. His words, the New Testament is in Greek. The Old Testament is Hebrew. And it's translated. And so um, I encourage you to, to learn how to use the tools that are available to go back in and look at and examine the original uh, meaning of the original words. Um, you don't have to be able to speak Hebrew and Greek to do that. Um, but then also when you study the scriptures, Look at, at different translations. There's literal translations. There's amplified translations. There's paraphrases. And, um, and look at those. Study those. Um, read those. Um, and it's amazing how, you know, one word um, can be said, you know, in a different way that'll make a whole passage or even chapter, uh, you know, come to life for you. Now, I want us uh, to spend a few minutes on what I call righteousness consciousness, okay? Righteousness consciousness. What does that mean? Well, I have under it in parentheses, reckon yourself righteous. Reckon yourself righteous. Remember, reckon means to put together with one's mind, to consider yourself righteous. What we're going to see, what we've already looked at, and what we're going to continue to look at now for the next little while, are some of the things the Bible has to say about you being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because you have been justified, because you have been made righteous, and because you are justified just as if you'd never sinned, and right before God in the eyes of God, just because you are righteous, amen, you've been made that, um, it's very, very, very important that you become aware of that. That's what we mean by consciousness. Consciousness means awareness, that you become conscious of your righteousness, that you become aware of your righteousness. Um, we looked at the verses last week out of Hebrews where the blood of an animal could not purge the consciousness of sin. But Jesus has purged um, our conscience, our consciousness. Amen. And that doesn't mean we still don't have memory of it, all right? But um, it's, it's very, very important that we go from a sin consciousness to a righteousness consciousness. Um, let's review something real quickly. Um, we said before Adam sinned that he was only God conscious, meaning everything that he knew about himself, um, it came from God and, and, and how he saw himself, how he understood himself. Um, after he sinned, um, he became sin conscious and, an, and upon immediately becoming sin conscious, he became self-conscious. He became self-aware. So Adam went from being God conscious only to now being God conscious, sin conscious, and self-conscious all at the same time. If you remember also that when Adam sinned, he hid from God. The reason he hid from God was because of his sin consciousness, but he also hid from his wife because he became self-conscious. Notice that Adam's sin caused him to hide from the only two individuals who could help him. And this is what sin does to us. It causes us to try to run from and hide from the very people that God has put in our lives to help us um, and to run from and hide from God himself who also um, loves us and wants to be good to us and 
to um, help us. So um, we see then that as each generation passed after Adam, mankind became less and less God-conscious and more and more sin and self-conscious. Now, if you fast forward, we see that Jesus has made us righteous, but many born-again people are more aware of the sinfulness in their past than the righteousness in their present and future. In other words, we have more sin consciousness, sin awareness in our lives than righteousness consciousness in our lives. We need to become aware of the righteousness that we have become. We need to begin to see ourselves as righteous because God has made us righteous. We need to begin to understand ourselves as men and women who have right standing before God in the eyes of God. This is why the Bible says that you can come boldly into the throne of grace um, because you belong there. You're already seated there um, in those heavenly places with Jesus. What qualifies you to go boldly into the throne of grace? What qualifies you to be seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places? Certainly nothing that I've done in myself that I could boast about. There's no resume that I have in my own efforts that would qualify me to have that kind of standing, to have that kind of position uh, before God the Father in the eyes of God the Father. But it's what Jesus has done for me. It's what Jesus has made me. It's, 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 what, it's the price that he paid for me and the result, the consequences of Jesus' obedience um, that I now benefit from because I have been given his um, righteousness. Now, let's look at Romans 8 and 30 in uh, the New King James Version. Romans 8 and 30, New King James Version. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. To, uh, to glorified means uh, to be raised. As a matter of fact, um, before we go any further, whom he predestined, predetermined, um, means something that was decided beforehand. And remember, Father God decided beforehand um, uh, that you would be uh, all human, human beings, uh, what they would be to him and who they would be to him. Don't overthink this. Um, it, it means that God decided, and based upon the decision that he made, this is what he has done for us to make um, his predetermination an option for us. If Jesus had never done for us what he did for us, then there would be no option for us to experience what we see in verse number 30 in Romans chapter 8. All right? So we, if we go to the Amplified, it says, and, and those whom he thus foreordained, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified means acquitted, made righteous, putting them into right standing with himself. Whom he called, he also justified, acquitted, made righteous, put them in right standing with himself. And those whom he just justified, he also glorified. What does it mean to be glorified? Raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. Notice the key word there, a state of being. This is something that you've become, not a state of doing, but a state of being. We'll come back to that phrase here in just a moment. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
First of all, let's look at it in uh, the King James Version. It says, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He made him, speaking of Jesus, in the substitutionary work that Jesus has done for each of us, he made Jesus your sin so that he could make you Jesus' righteousness. The Son of God became a son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. He who knew no sin was made sin for you so that all we knew was sin, right? Jesus could, uh, was made sin for us so that those who were sinners by nature uh, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Don't be thrown by the word might be made. Might means it's not automatic. You, you have to call upon the name of the Lord um, to be saved. Remember, Jesus was the propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus was made sin for every human being that has ever lived or ever will live on planet Earth. But just because he was made their sin does not automatically mean we are all made his righteousness. So that we might be made means that we might have the option, that we might be given the opportunity. He did this for us so that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Now, this word might be made, the, the, the expression be made in the original language means to change the state of something, to come into existence in a new or a different state. When Jesus in John 8 says that to those who were you know, listening to him in the temple, continue my word, you'll know my, continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll come to know the truth and the truth will make you free, whom the Son makes free. This means to come into existence as something that you were not before, to be made something that you were not before. Remember Jesus said they were slaves of sin, but if the Son makes you free, um, you will be a son because and a son abides in the Father's house forever. So being made righteous, he didn't just give you righteousness, he made you righteous. Um, I, I've said this, I think, already maybe a couple of classes ago. When I was born physically, I was born with brown eyes. Um, it, they, they, I was made with brown eyes. When you're born again, righteousness is to your born again man what brown eyes are to my physical man. It's, it's not, I don't just have brown eyes in the sense that, you know, I can put them in my pocket at night or something like that. Um, it, it's a part of um, what I am. And so in the same way, when you are made righteous, it becomes who you are. It's, 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 righteousness now is your, is your nature. You're made righteous. You come into um, um, existence as in a different state from what you were before. Before, remember, we had the, right, the nature of a sinner. Now we have the nature of righteousness. Okay? Um, let's see here. Let's look at this in the Passion Translation. It says, for God made the only one who did not know sin. Let me put it up on the screen. Get a sip of water. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. Amen. That's beautiful. Praise God. All right. Um, 
let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Okay? Having, uh, let's see, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So, let's look at this uh, verse and what he's saying. Having been made righteous, that's speaking of a past completed work, we are now righteous, present tense state of being, and will therefore be saved from eternal damnation in hell. That's what wrath, in this particular translation of the word wrath, it means eternal damnation in hell, will therefore be saved from eternal damnation in hell future tense results and benefit. So we're talking about a past completed work that produces a present tense state of being with future tense results and benefits. Having been made righteous, we are now righteous and will therefore be saved from the wrath of God, which literally means eternal damnation in hell. Now, Let's do this. Um, I want you to think of it this way, okay? I want you to think of it this way because it is this way. So let me make sure I, I, I make that clear, all right? Righteousness is a state of being, okay? A state of being as opposed to a state of doing. Righteousness is a state of being. Now, there are words that are related to righteousness that are sometimes used interchangeably with righteousness, but that would be um, incorrect, more than just technically incorrect. It would be a misunderstanding of what these words actually mean. Okay? So those words are the words holiness and godliness. So holiness and godliness are both a state of doing okay now i want to make sure that you understand this and so i'm just going to leave those on the screen for a moment again i know that um a lot of you are taking notes and sometimes i go through these too too quickly okay so righteousness is a state of being when the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, having been made something means that you came into existence as something um, that you were not previously, you were not before. So this, how's that happen? Through the new birth. You know, it's how you pass from death to life. It's how you're, you know, you're born from the womb of death. Remember, we've covered all this, all right? So when you're born again, you come into a state of being righteous. Um, not based upon what you do, not based upon what you've earned, not based upon how good you've been or how bad you've been, um, but righteousness is a state of being. Now, holiness, on the other hand, is a state of doing. Godliness is a state of doing. Now, I know that we just got through talking about holy. That, that definition and use of the word is slightly different from 
what we're talking about here. And so let me give you um, some definitions, okay? Holiness is all the things I do not do anymore because I have been made righteous. Holiness is all the things I do not do anymore because I have been made righteous. So because I have been made righteous and righteousness is a state of being, there are things that I'm going to stay away from and not do anymore, okay, by choice. So that's why we say holiness is a state of doing. Holiness is all the things I do not do anymore because I have been made righteous. So think about it. Because I've been made righteous, there are substances that I do not take into my body any longer. Because I've been made righteous, there are jokes that I do not tell. There are websites that I do not visit. There are magazines that I do not buy. There are words that I do not use. There are, um, you know, sin, basically. I mean, I'm just trying to make this a a little more user-friendly here. Um, But when we talk about all the things that we don't do anymore because we've been made righteous, righteousness is a state of being. Holiness, though, is a state of doing. And and in the case of holiness, it's everything that I choose not to do anymore, I refuse to do anymore, because I've been made righteous. Now, godliness is the other side of that coin, if you will. Godliness is all the things I do because I have been made righteous. Holiness, the things that I separate myself from, things that I don't do. Godliness is all the things that I now do all the things that I separate myself unto, not from, but to, because I've been made righteous. So what are the examples of those? Um, Attending church is an act of godliness. The word godliness in the scriptures um, doesn't have any of the words uh, that translate to the name of God in them. Um, That's why you'll see godliness in the scriptures in in lowercase, um, uh, lowercase g. Because the word uh, is Eusebia in the Greek, E-U-S-E-B-I-A, and, um, and, it, and it literally uh, means or can be translated piety, okay? So speaking of being committed to a, a lifestyle of godliness, a lifestyle of being separate from uh, sinful things and sinfulness, So holiness, all the things I do not do anymore because I've been made righteous, all the jokes I don't tell, all the words I don't use, all the uh, stuff I don't take into my body, all the, um, you know, sexual sins and things of that nature that I do not commit, that's holiness, separated from those things. Godliness, on the other hand, um, it's the things that I do because I've been made righteous. Because I've been made righteous, I go to church. Because I've been made righteous... Um, I worship God because I've been made righteous. I read my Bible because I've been made righteous. I serve in my local church because I've been made righteous. I share um, the good news of, of, of salvation with, uh, with other people. Okay, um, So holiness, all the things I do not do anymore because I have been made righteous. Godliness, all the things I do because I've been made righteous. Now, let me come back over for a moment. Okay. 
This is so important. And I know that there are people who've been taught differently from this, who think differently from this, believe differently from this. But my righteousness is not dependent upon my holiness. And my righteousness is not dependent upon my godliness. Me being right with God is not dependent upon the things that I do or do not do. Me being right with God is based upon what Jesus has done for me, what he has given to me, and who he has made me through the new birth experience. Now, what is the connection, what is the relationship then between holiness and righteousness or godliness and righteousness? Again, holiness is my response to being made right. Godliness is my response to being made right. The more conscious, the more aware I become of the righteousness that I have been made, the more I naturally desire to live a holy life the more I naturally desire to live a godly life. Um, the more I view separating myself from things as something I get to do and can do instead of something I have to do. Okay? Um, the more I view paying my tithes as something I get to do as opposed to something that I have to do. It's because I'm not trying to do these things to make myself right or even maintain my right standing with God. I'm doing these things because I am right with God, because I have been made right with God. And as one who understands my right standing with God, I'm now motivated to give cheerfully. I'm now motivated to abstain from the different things in uh, the world that would try to hinder, contaminate, or you know, negatively impact my, uh, my uh, relationship, my fellowship um, with God the Father. All right? Let me give you a, a, a passage out of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. It says, Reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So I'll leave that verse on the screen for a moment. He tells us to reject profane and old wives' fables. You know, stuff like, you know, black cat crossing your path, breaking a mirror, throwing salt over your shoulder, walking under a ladder. Come on now. Let's, you know, even things pertaining to being lucky and all that stuff. No, no, no. We're not, we're not putting our effort and energy and, and mental effort and energy uh, in, into these things, okay? He says, instead, exercise yourself toward godliness. Now, pay, att pay attention to that word exercise because when he says exercise, he literally means exercise because in the next verse, verse 8, he's talking about um, you know, bodily exercise, you know, getting on a treadmill, um, taking a walk in the afternoon, uh, lifting weights. He says bodily exercise profits a little, but exercising yourself towards godliness is profitable for all things. Um, in other words, godliness will benefit you in every area of your life 
And not just when you get to heaven one day, that's the last phrase in verse 8, having promise of benefit um, of the life that now is. There's that word now again, talking about right here and now in your life, not, not in the sweet by and by, but, but in the right here and now, okay? Um, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So he, he compares, you know, the things that we do the, the, you know, reading our Bible, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, uh, faithfully attending church, serving God in the local church and in other places. These things are godliness. This, this is what it means to live a godly life in response to um, our righteousness. And, um, and, and that we, if we'll exercise ourselves towards these things, that they will be beneficial to us in every area of our life, both now and and in the future, and even um, when we get to heaven uh, one day. Praise God. That's, that's a, uh, again, uh, such important truth for us to uh, understand and embrace. All right, now, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we'll begin at verse number 6. And we're going to go all the way through verse 21. Now, um, there's a lot here. And in previous um, years, we've probably spent more time on these verses than we will spend right now. But um, we're, we're going... Uh, anyway, let's just, let's just be led by the Spirit as we work our way through these. So... Um, he begins by saying, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I used to say that the greatest display our demonstration of God's love to mankind was when Jesus died on the cross. Um, I mean, I stand by that statement. It was a tremendous display and demonstration of his love for us. But one of the things the Holy Spirit prompted me, and, and it was from just, you know, what we see in the other... Um, verses to follow this is that Jesus on the cross is a demonstration of God's tremendous love for his enemies. Remember, we've looked at it. We're not going to go back, but we looked at verses already this evening and are in this class today and other um, sessions that we've had that we were enemies of God um, in our minds and by our wicked works. And so the love of God demonstrated by Jesus' death on the cross is the love that God has for those who are living as His enemies. And that's the love that God has for a sinner. I'm, I'm pointing that out to you because if you've been born again, you're not a sinner anymore. And so, let's just keep reading. So, 
But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9 begins with these two words, much more. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. So this was the verse that we looked at a moment ago when we were pointing out the past completed, um, present tense reality, future tense results and benefits. But notice the, the, uh, the context. The context is the love that God demonstrated toward us while we were sinners, much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. All right, so there's a lot that we could break down here. I want to make sure you see at least the big points, the big pieces. What is he saying? He's saying when we were all sinners and basically doing our own thing and could give a rip about God, Jesus was dying for us. He loved us enough to die for us and to be the propitiation for our sins without any guarantee that, that we would ever say yes to Him, that we would ever receive for ourselves what He has done for us freely. Okay? All right? So, but now think about it. He's saying if He loved us that much to die for us when we were His enemies having now been justified by His blood, having now been born a second time and created again according to God Himself, how much more does He love us? And how much more grace does He have for us? Let me say it another way. The grace that we see, it's such an amazing grace, displayed by Jesus' death on the cross. The Bible says that God gives grace and He gives more grace. That's not all the grace God has to give. And so we see that there's a lot more grace that God has for us now that we've become born of His Spirit, born from above, born of His seed, um, born of God. We shall be saved by His life. So if, if His death has reconciled us to God, how much more benefit now that we've been reconciled will His ongoing life produce in our daily lives, our daily victory now that we have received the reconciliation. Okay, let's keep going. Verse number 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now remember, we've already taught on these verses, so I'm going to just keep moving here. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, 
who is a type of him who was to come. So by way of review, lots of takeaways here, but the key one is this. It was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it was not your obedience that made you righteous. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. All right, now, what, what is he saying here? He's saying that it was Adam's sin that made us all sinners. Okay? But it was Jesus' obedience, Jesus' obedience that has provided the gift of righteousness, a gift that's received by faith when one is born again. But he's saying the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded to many. So if he's saying that it's not like it, he's not saying that it's not like it in the sense that one man's sin brought death, one man's obedience brought righteousness. He's saying it's not like it in the sense that the two are not equal in their effect or power. He's saying that Adam's sin was so powerful that it, that it made us all sinners, but the gift of God that makes us righteous is much more. That's that, that expression that you see here, much more. It's much more powerful than the sin that made us sinners. The, the abundance of grace, let's say it this way, the abundance of grace that made us righteous is much more powerful than the sin that once condemned us. The salvation we received is not shallow and temporary. It is eternal and goes to the depths of our eternal being. The new creation we became is not weak and fragile, waiting to crumble and be undone by the sin that still may beset us. Um, who you are in Christ is rugged, durable, and irreversible. The righteousness you became has been battle-tested. Your righteousness, the righteousness that you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus, it emerged unscathed and victorious over hell itself and every imaginable thing the enemies of God could throw at it. Okay? So let me, let me come back over here for just a second. All right? I know we're still... You've got a few verses to go here. Um, what he's saying is that Adam's sin made us sinners and brought death. The answer that Jesus has provided is not less powerful than the problem. It's more powerful there are people who believe, and again, religion and tradition, but it's wrong. There are people who believe that, you know, this, this, permanence, um, this permanent condition that sin produced that can only be undone by the blood of Jesus, that somehow when Jesus undoes it and, and, and 
changes us that um, sin is so much more powerful than God's grace that, that if you commit a sin again, it just puts you right back in that old condition. And it absolutely does not. Let's go verse 17. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's speaking of Adam. And his sin resulting in judgment resulted in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience, many were made sinners. I'm sorry. Blah, 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 blah. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, what does grace do? Grace abounded, there's those two words again, much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through Jesus Christ, our Lord, even so grace might reign through, the, through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Praise God. All right, let me, let's cover one last thing and then we'll, we'll close it down for uh, today, all right? Romans chapter 10 and verse 2 and 3. It says this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Think about what he's saying right there. He's saying out of ignorance. Uh, what does ignorant mean? Ignorant means you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. He's saying out of ignorance of the righteousness that has been bought and paid for and offered to them by faith, by God, through faith, that they continue through their own efforts to establish and make themselves right before God in the eyes of God. He says they're doing this out of a zeal for God and out of ignorance, but it's not according to knowledge. Okay, If it's not according to knowledge, then it's according to ignorance. Okay. And notice, because of the ignorance of what's been made available to them, they continue to try to establish themselves right and make themselves right before God. And notice what they have refused to do. Um, they have refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. So think about that. What does it mean to submit to the righteousness of God? To submit means to place yourself under, to humble yourself. It's a military term referring to a soldier being under a commander, okay? So to submit to the righteousness of God is the only way to be right before God in the eyes of God. I, I know for years, we, on, on Wednesday nights, we're, we've been in, a, I don't know, seven or eight parts to a, a series entitled um, Faith Will Flourish in an Understanding Heart. And for a lot of years in my walk with the Lord, I believed that my righteousness was based upon what I do. I believed righteousness was a state of doing and that if I was going to be right with God, 
it was dependent upon, based upon my behavior. And because, you know, I would struggle and do things that I shouldn't do and commit sin, I would feel like I was not good enough or righteous enough and I didn't measure up. And so I kept trying to make myself right and establish my own righteousness and, and never understood that the only way to be right with God is to receive the gift of righteousness and submit myself to that. Now, one of my favorite Bible teachers is a man named Keith Moore, and he said something that's so simple but so profound, and he is anointed by God to do that. He said that submission only comes into play when you disagree. So you may think you're in submission to those who have rule over you, the, your boss at work, but when submission really comes into play in your relationship with the superior is when you disagree with them and you decide whether or not you're going to submit and do what they say or you're going to rebel and do it your own way. Okay, So think of it in those terms when we talk about submitting to the righteousness of God. To submit to means to come under. And, and if, if you continue to you know, believe and insist that the only way to be right with God is if through your own obedience to the laws of God, then you're not submitting yourself to what's been done for you, but you're continuing to try to establish it, establish it yourself. Now, the bigger picture of that, though, is something called pride, being prideful, all right? So let me ask you a quick question. What percentage of your righteousness, let me swap over here, what percentage of your righteousness, pardon the typo there, depends upon you, and what percentage dep depends upon God? I'm asking this question because I'm trying to make the bigger point. For a lot of years, I believed that it, it was all dependent upon me. And then as I began to learn about what God's done for me, um, I believed that it was you know, kind of a partially dependent upon me and mostly dependent upon God. Um, for, for example, I believed that God made me righteous when I was born again, but then it was dependent upon me to maintain my righteousness, which I finally learned, I, how can I maintain something I can never produce? Okay, It's like asking somebody to maintain some kind of mechanical system that they don't know anything about how it works. It, it, it's, it's just impossible. All right. So what percentage of your righteousness depends upon you and what percentage depends upon God? How you answer will go a long way towards revealing how much you've submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, if, if, if you say it's 50-50 or all dependent upon you, as I get, when I ask this, in a group of, ask this question to a group of people, I get a lot of different answers. And sometimes I even tell them, don't shout out your answer, just think about it. Uh, if it's a one-on-one -on -one session when I'm counseling with somebody, you know, I'll ask them, you know, to give me the answer. But how you answer will go a long way towards revealing how much you have submitted to the righteousness of God, all right? The reality of it is this, 100% of your righteousness depends upon what Jesus has done for you, and 0% depends upon your obedience or what you do for him. Now, what you do in response to the righteousness that he's made you also known as holiness and godliness, holy living, godly living, okay? Um, that, is, that, that is dependent upon you. He'll help you, but again, dependent upon you. Let's just make one more final statement, okay? 
You cannot do one thing to add to or take away from the righteousness you became through the new birth. You cannot increase the standing you, you have with God and you cannot diminish the standing you have with God. Okay, It's not based upon works. Righteousness is not based upon works. It's a state of being, not a state of doing. Only one way to be made, only one way to be righteous, that's to be made righteous. And the only way to be made righteous is to be born a second time um, as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, um, I'm going to read something to you. I'll put it on the screen as well. But if you'd like a copy of this, um, the title of it, I think, is Righteousness Handout. It, it may be titled differently, okay, and I apologize for that. I should have double-checked that. But again, the church website, hccnow.org, under the Resources tab, um, you'll find um, the two things that I'm about to give you, okay? And I encourage you to print this off, put it on your refrigerator, bathroom mirror, what have you, um, and, and read these. Help give the Holy Spirit some, some ammunition to use in uh, becoming righteousness, consciousness, and um, renewing your mind to these truths, okay? So the first one I call an overview of righteousness. An overview of righteousness. And this is what it says. I am the righteousness of God. I did nothing to earn or deserve the righteousness I have become, but received it as a gift. I was born a sinner from the corrupted seed of Adam. Sin was more than a problem I had or something I tried not to do. Sin was my nature. I was a sinner, and I was powerless to make myself right before God. My behavior, no matter how good, was powerless to change my sin nature. Because of the great love with which He loved me, Father sent Jesus to take the punishment for every sin I have committed in the past and will commit in the future. Jesus took the blame and punishment for everything I have done or will do wrong and gave me the credit and reward for everything He did right. Jesus also made a way for me to be born a second time from His seed. Effectively killing my sin nature and recreating me with a new nature, His divine nature. Righteousness is now more than a quality I have or something I aspire to do. Righteousness is my new nature. Just as I was powerless to make myself righteous, I'm powerless to keep myself righteous. My frame is dust and my mind needs to be reconditioned because it has been infected, imprinted, and influenced by the world and my former nature. Therefore, I still commit sin on occasion. Thankfully, my righteousness is based upon what has been done for me and is not dependent upon my behavior. For my behavior, no matter how bad, is powerless to change my righteous nature. I end it with, I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. Now, the next document Understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. There is a relationship, but it's not the one that a lot of people think, okay? So listen to this. And again, please download these. Please review these. Please keep these before your eyes, okay? Understanding the relationship between being righteous and doing right. Being righteous and doing right are related and dependent upon one another, but not the way most people understand most people think being righteous is dependent upon doing right. It is the exact opposite. Doing right is dependent upon being righteous. 
I was told, and I believe for many years, that I was a sinner. And as a sinner, I needed to do right. I was, in essence, being told to live in contradiction to what I was. The truth is, I was a sinner when Jesus found me, but He made me righteous. Made being a key word. He made me righteous. Through His blood, and not by or because of my good behavior, I was born a second time and became a new creature with a new nature and a new identity. Based upon this and this alone, I am not a sinner anymore and will never be one again. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am no longer trying to live in contradiction to what I am. Now that I have been made righteous, I have the wherewithal to do right. The more my mind is reconditioned to my new nature and my new identity, the more my life reflects the reality of the righteousness I have become. So being right and doing right are dependent upon one another, but trying to do right in order to be right is futile and unacceptable to God. Because He made me right, I be right. And because I be right, I can do right. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. Wow. Let me give you that last statement one more time. Because He made me right, I be right. Remember, you're a human being, not a human doing. Because He made me right, I be right. And because I be right, I am right. Because I be right, I am right. Because I am right, I be right. Because I be right, I can do right. I humbly and joyfully submit myself to the righteousness of God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together today. Thank you for your word, for your truth. Father, knowing your truth enables us to live and walk in the freedom that we were made the day you made us new creatures in your Son, Christ Jesus. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us to lay hold of these things. Lord, help us to become more and more aware of the righteousness that you've made us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Tell somebody around you good things coming. If you're by yourself, just confess it out loud and believe it in your heart. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You be blessed. Thank you for tuning in. And um, we look forward to uh, our time together uh, in the days ahead. Amen. Once again, good things coming.